and he uh, is shown the wicked abominations. I can go back and I read like a, you know, you, you um, back in the, in the old, uh, many, many, many years ago, back when they had films, you would, football practice and they run the pictures back and forth to show your mistakes and that's sort of like I do every sermon I go back in my mind and it can be torturous to review in your mind what you, what you did what you missed and what you left out and I left out at some point this morning and and it's um, it was it was on the wicked abominations that are done in the dark and, and my whole sub-point, so one of the benefits of coming Sunday night or listening to the Sunday night is maybe you sometimes get to hear the rest of the sermon. <laughs> but, I, but I thought about all the, and, and I'm encouraged by all the ways that people have come and, and, and mentioned how the Lord is dealing with them with particular idols in their life and how they, things that they never have thought about as being idols that have been revealed in their heart. And, that's a sign of the effectiveness of, of the Word of God, but I, I believe the most analogous thing in our contemporary culture to the idolatry of, of the elders in secret in a dark place it is frankly pornography and, and um, uh, all the vileness associated with it and all of the, the wicked things that people do in secret that they think no one uh, can see. Why do you do those things in secret? Why are they performed in secret? And the answer is because of the shame, the inevitable shame that is involved. And, and the shame not from God, but from people. And if you blush to think that someone might see you looking at something or indulging in something in, in the dark, a person, then how much more shamed you should we be that to know that those things done in the dark are are um, are known to God constantly. There's nowhere that we go from His presence. There's nothing that we, uh, no place we're in uh, uh, that um, He doesn't see and He doesn't know our condition. So, so I'll just add that. That's back at flying in chapter 8. Uh, but tonight, uh, we see, as we saw at the end of chapter 8, God promised in verse 18 that he would act. He would act in wrath. His eye wouldn't spare. He would have no pity. And though they cry in my ears with a loud voice, I will not hear them. Again, it's the, the time... Uh, for mercy has passed, the time for the right administration of justice has, has come. And God brings his judgment on idolatrous Judah. And consequently, we'll see all the surrounding nations as well. God, that's God's means of judgment in this world. He raises up one godless nation to judge another godless nation. I mean, if you're a student of history, uh, you know this is this is the case, and not just in the Bible's history, but throughout the history of mankind. Um, this is how he judges the world until Christ returns, and it is 
it is important for us to, to remember just because we say that God is on our side and we have printed on our money that in God we trust, that doesn't necessarily mean a thing. The German soldiers who marched in support of uh, their Nazi leaders had on their inscribed on their belt buckles, God with us. God with us. They claim God's presence with him in evil. And that is exactly the circumstance that we see here. The leadership, the spiritual, the elders of Israel are mixing the temple worship of God with the idolatry of the Baals and the uh, uh, moon goddess, Asherah. And God hates it, and he will not tolerate it. I think it was on uh, Jan Chaddock's blessed. Jan, we miss you tonight, so you can't, uh, if you're on live stream. But she sent me an article this afternoon on uh, an event that was held in the main stadium of London, England, in which the featured program was a 20-foot bull statue that was rolled out, uh, imitating worshiping the bull. <laughs> I, uh, it sounds outlandish. It is outlandish, but it also demonstrates on behalf of some. I don't have my phone. I'm good. I don't have my phone, so I don't have to look at it again. <laughs> but the, the the extent of the wickedness of this dark world. God's patience with his people in this passage has come to an end. And he tells them that the glory of the heavens that he has attended, in verse 3, now the glory of God of Israel have gone up from the cherub on which it had rested to the threshold of the house. The glory of the temple was departing because of God's judgment. Remember the priest in, in before the temple uh, when they were when the ark had been uh, captured because of the disobedience of, of Israel. There was the uh, wife of Phineas, uh, and when the ark was captured, named named her child Ichabod. What a terrible name! Uh, meaning the glory has departed, and, and basically when you want to say a pejorative about a, 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 a church or, a, or about Israel, uh, you, you say God has written the Ichabod on the door. The glory has departed. That was said of the old, when the PCA left uh, the PCUSA, uh, someone said write Ichabod on the door because the glory has departed. When God removes his presence, a blessing from a people, his glory departs, and he will not continue to bless false worship. Um, I was raised in a particular denomination which was very mainline at the time, and I'm very encouraged that parts of it are becoming less mainline and uh, more in line with the scripture, and that's a, that's a wonderful thing. 
but one of the emphasis was always pluralism. You know, that we we need to welcome all all under our umbrella. That we're all just taking um, different paths to the same place and meeting uh, all kinds of Eastern Eastern religion and Eastern uh, thought as well as um, ancient paganism. I, as a young believer, very, very sincere in my beliefs, I very well remember in high school trying to witness everybody in the public high school I grew up in, and including my English English teacher, and uh, and who, who plainly told me that, that she was a Buddhist and that she believed in in the, the Buddhist religion. Well, I said. Okay, uh, but, and, but I shared the gospel with her anyway. And so that next Sunday, I was shocked to see her joining the church. And again, it was under the rubric of pluralism. God is not pleased with this. The gospel is not pluralistic. Jesus made it incredibly in John 14 verse 6 when he said I am the way the truth and the life no one comes to the Father but through me so there this fearsome Judgment is falling because of Israel's worship of the sun, the Baal sun god, and the, and the moon Astra, and all the all the sexual perversion that went with that idol worship. Um, and and bringing it crashing in upon their heads. He appoints these executioners. Bring in the executioners of the city. Now are these uh, the hangmen that they were on the parole? I mean, what a job, you know. Some people have to do that job still, uh, wherever there's the capital, uh, capital, penalty, capital punishment penalty. Um, I, I don't think these were the paid executioners of Jerusalem. I think these were angelic executioners. And I believe that because of, of the obvious parallel uh, there there is to uh, Israel's captivity and the uh, angel of death in, at the time of the Passover back in, in Exodus. Uh, I think it's 12. Yeah, Exodus 12. Where God appointed one angel to execute judgment on everyone who did not have the mark of the blood of the Passover lamb on the doorpost and the lentils and the sign of, of a cross. Um, there, there is an office of executioner that uh, the government is allowed to have. God very clearly says that the state uh, is given the power of the sword. And uh, we hope and pray to live in a place where that power is used judiciously and carefully, but righteously. It's a great deterrent to, to uh, crime and to evil. 
and so it is an instrument of God. But when states and governments fail it or misappropriate it, as Israel obviously had in this case, God will take it upon himself to execute judgment. And he appoints these executioners with weapons of destruction to execute judgment. Now, when you read the account of the, the uh, Babylonian destruction of Jerusalem, it's, it, there's a lot of exile and there's also a lot of death. Uh, most of the commentaries that I read on this uh, conflate both this with the final destruction of the temple in Jerusalem in AD 70 and see it as, uh, see it as coming uh, together. And so there's this, um, and if you've read the accounts of Josephus about that temple destruction, it's, it's very grim, it's very graphic, and I, I, it's definitely something that, uh, you know, I, 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 I'm very squeamish about when I read it because it is so brutal and so vicious. And the uh, executions here by the Babylonians that are coming are, 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 are brutal as well. So I'm not, sometimes I, I, when I'm going through this, I'm trying to sort all that out, but, but at, the, at, the, at this present time, he's dealing with their idolatry of, of um, worshiping these false Baal gods and these false Astra gods that he will not tolerate. And he tells them to pass through the city and, and destroy everyone, put them under the ban. That, that was, uh, when you remember when God instructed Israel to conquer the promised land? There are certain nations that you don't let anyone live. Not, 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 not the women, not the children, uh, not, not anyone associated with them, not their animals, anything. Uh, this is what got Saul in trouble, remember, with the Amalekites. He, he saved some of their, um, their loot, some of their um, animals, and claimed he was doing it uh, to offer sacrifices. And this is, this is the highest degree of judgment in the Bible. And when we read it, we, we, uh, we cringe. Do we feel the same way about the bombs that fell on Nagasaki and Hiroshima? Or the carpet bombing of Dresden, Germany? Or Japan before that? It's, just, it's war. There's a, there's a, there is a concept of total war. And there, it, is, it is part of the destruction that God has not given us as individuals to Although I'm just horrified, if you follow the news, horrified at these people who are, who are killing, trying to kill themselves and in consequence driving their car like crazy people into crowds and just, and just murdering people with a car. We're going to outlaw cars now, I think so, for some people. But this is the fearsomeness of, of the judgment of God that is falling. Again, I think they're angelic beings like the angels of death in, in Exodus 12. 
uh, like the angels appointed with a sword by the garden to keep uh, anyone from entering back into the garden. There are angels with a sword drawn. Um, this is this is this God uses intermediaries. I'm out of there, so where I am. I can't turn over there and look. Get lost. It's in the, oh, you're gonna bring it to me? I I, I left it laying there. I'm taking it out of the title. Oh, okay. I'm still on point one. <laughs> Agents and instruments of death. That's the first point. God uses agents and instruments. He uses principalities. He uses nations. He uses governments. He uses executioners of all kinds, but behind them all, behind the earthly executioners and the earthly agents, he animates them with his angelic beings. And it is a fearsome thing to understand. Uh, these plagues that are mentioned of famine and war and pestilence and, and uh, God and God uses these things to chasten Israel and to chasten the nations as well. And as dark as Ezekiel is at times, and this is dark, there's this bright mark here I want you to see. And that's why I titled this message tonight, Marked for Life. Sometimes we use the expression scarred for life. And I'll, I'll, I'll tell you that young people people I'm not a fan of tattoos just don't do that you know? <laughs> but some people do and that's okay they do that I guess it's if it, in the Old Testament it was like an abomination so I have anything the Bible calls an abomination I'm Amen. just leery of it <laughs> 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 I'm off the subject let me get back to the subject well not entirely mark for life I want you, one, one of these angelic beings who was clothed in linen, clothed in linen and had, had a writing case, had a specific uh, job, passed through the city, through Jerusalem, and put a mark on the foreheads of the men who sigh and groan over all the abominations that are committed in it. And everyone who doesn't have the mark, destroy them. It, 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 it's a direct parallel back to the Passover, the blood of the Lamb put over the homes of the righteous. It's also directly seen as well in the book of Revelation where God's elect are given a mark on their forehead and their arm in contrast to the mark of the beast on the ungodly. It doesn't talk about the mark of the beast here but it talks about a mark for the righteous and it's a very interesting mark the, the, the it is, it is also the name of the last letter of the Hebrew al alphabet, which is the Tav. Now, in the Tav, it's in the, the Hebrew script, it's a strange-looking letter. 
that's stylized. It kind of looks like a cursive R, very lar largely written, if you want to imagine it or look it up later, look it up. But in the ancient script of Hebrew, it was simply a cross. It was simply, an, you know, make your mark. You, we, you know, watch the old westerns. If you couldn't read right, they make their mark. They put their X. That's exactly what this is. And I don't want to spiritualize the text, but I'm not afraid to here. Just as surely as the blood of the lamb on the doorpost and the lentils was the sign of the cross that delivered the people of Israel in the Passover, just as surely this mark is the cross that delivers from certain death and destruction. This is the glorious gospel. Everyone who does not have this mark, according to to the word of God given to Ezekiel to Israel will be destroyed. No matter what their station in life, they'll be destroyed. In contrast, all who do have it will be passed over and will be spared. Who is this one in linen with his writing tablet? Uh, it, you know, it's it's not 100% clear the text, but I think it's pretty clear. The one who's clothed in linen is the one who clothes his bride in linen in Revelation chapter 19, verse 8. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. Those who had who were saints who had righteous deeds were spared. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. God speaks this way over and over in the New Testament. And it's really important for us to notice it here in Ezekiel and under, read it in light of the full uh, revelation of God. Just as surely as he put his mark on the people of God at the Passover and spared them from the angel of death, and just as surely as his messenger here puts his mark on the people of God and they are spared from death at the time of the Babylonian uh, uh, is coming for judgment. And so for all the people of God, for all time, he puts his mark on his people and it represents the same thing. It represents the sacrifice of Jesus on our behalf. His seal Upon us is the Holy Spirit who applies the grace and mercy of forgiveness to us in Christ. We always live in the midst of judgment. 
We will all face the judgment of God. Every sick. I, when I was younger, I used to just despair if I ever committed a crime that involved the death penalty. I could think, I could think of nothing more horrible than sitting on death row. But now that I'm up in years, I'm sitting there. I'm thinking now, oh, now I want to know what I was afraid of. My, my uncles used to joke that they, at the funerals I'd go to down in Alabama. We're sitting on the front row, Paul, and I thought, what are you talking about? Now I know what they're talking about. <laughs> that time is closer. And what will spare me from eternal death and eternal destruction? Only if I'm marked for life with the cross of Jesus. Because what will happen at the end, and there's that bright hope, that mark is the bright hope of the gospel here in this dark chapter, of this dark book. There's that bright hope of the cross. It will deliver us, and nothing else will deliver us. Because God promises that his judgment is certain, and he's back to it in verses 9 through 11, and the judgment that comes because of the idolatry of Israel and Judah, which is exceedingly great. The land is full of love, the city full of injustice, where they say the Lord has forsaken the land and the Lord does not see. As for me, my eye will not spare, nor will I have pity, and I will bring their deeds upon their heads. Um, it's important for us to preach and teach this message in the church it's uh, important that we begin with ourselves uh, in these public discussions about morality and righteousness it's it's really important for us always to take the seat of the sinner or else we will have no effective witness whatsoever uh, to a lost world we must never take the posture of self-righteousness in the face of the onslaught of the evil one the, the posture is here. Those, those who humble themselves, uh, note, it, note it carefully, um, the, pass through the city, and those who sigh and groan over all the abominations, who, who are not haughty about their own lack of participation, but are rather humbled by God's grace in delivering us from it. We, we must be involved in evangelism and missions. We must be active in telling people the truth about sin and the judgment that falls because of sin. And we must be careful to do it, as someone has rightly said, as the position of, from the position of one beggar telling another beggar where to find we must be polite we must be respectful we must at the same time be truthful as we engage in these discussions with those who are lost They're, we won't argue anybody into the kingdom of God we won't reason anybody into a, a reasonable position about who God is and what he's done all, all, all we can do is witness to the truth. 
and be faithful to the truth. No matter what it may cost us personally. And Jesus promised us that we would be. Those who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, you will be persecuted. And when it happens, don't fret about it. Put it up here and wear it like a badge of honor that it is. Be glad. I'll just close with this. I'm going to close with reading 1 Peter 3. 15 and 16. Well, I'll read 14 and 16. I'll read several verses. Because this is, to me, this sums up the whole, whole point I'm trying to make at the end. But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord is holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. We live in a lost world, all around us. No doubt you have family members, loved ones close to you. Only the Holy Spirit can break their hearts and bring about repentance and faith. We cannot come up with a, cl a clever argument or a clever plan to do that work. We don't. We could do this. We don't have to. We just have to speak the truth in love and to bring, proclaim it faithfully, and God will do the rest. To his own praise, honor, and glory. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, and thank you for this glorious gospel that's found even in this uh, very tough chapter in Ezekiel chapter 9. Did you put your mark on those who are faithful and those who have loved from all eternity? And because of that mark, they are set apart in the world and you keep them. And it's all of your grace. It's none of our doing. We, we would come to you on our own. Uh, we, would, we would continue to be in rebellion unless you uh, moved on our heart and changed us. Father, help us to have that attitude toward those we know who are lost, our neighbors, our family members, our friends. And help us to have the opportunity. Give us those divine appointments to tell them the glorious good news that Jesus came into the world to die for sinners. And help us to be like the Apostle Paul who claimed at the end of his life that he was the foremost. Help us to have that attitude in our witness. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.